0: Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design.
1: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 276.
0: Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here is your host, Matt Boudreau.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session Two Hundred and Seventy Six. You are listening to my friends. We have a bizarre episode for you today. And if you read the copy on the uh, for the podcast at all, you're probably thoroughly confused. And if you're just kind of rolling from show to show, uh, I'll spring it on you now. My guest today. Is Matthew Boudreau. No, I'm not going to interview myself. There is actually, yes, another Boudreau out there who's involved in audio. And this Matthew Boudreau, and it's, by the way, it's spelled the same way. Some people spell Boudreau with an X at the end. This Matthew Boudreau does not, just like I do not. So Matthew is uh, located in Buffalo, New York. He's a field recordist, a podcast editor, and a sound designer. And he has been listening to the show for some time, to my utter surprise. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. But anyways, I was on LinkedIn, and I was looking around, and his name popped up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's another Matthew Boudreaux who is spelled the exact same way. Oh, my God, he's in audio. I have to talk to him. So I, I reached out. I messaged him. And I just said, hey, man, I we should we should be connected, number one, because we share the same name. But also, uh, because we're in audio, and uh, by the way, <clears throat> would you be interested in coming on my show? And he obliged, and a uh, really, really nice guy, and I'm really happy to know him, happy to know another Matthew Boudreaux. I think that that, that part is just uh, highly entertaining to me. So, I'm sure that you would share in that if you could find somebody who was in your industry who shared the exact same name. I'm sure there's many of you, but... Matt Boudreau, Matthew Boudreau, you know, that's, I don't know. That's not a super common name, but it's, I guess it's common enough. So here we are. So very excited to bring you my interview with Matthew Boudreau here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Shall we shelter in place together? Mm. Some days the coffee just tastes better than other days I don't know what it is could be the beans well so uh, as I was making coffee I was uh, messaging with former WCA guest Chuck Zwicky Uh, Chuck has worked with uh, Soul Asylum and Prince and uh, Chuck's a great guy Um, I'm looking up when he was on last let's see we gotta bring Chuck back on he was on episode number 92 super great guy super smart really love chatting with him and on that note I uh, I gotta say if you haven't reached out to uh, your fellow audio peers and associates during this time period of sheltering in place please do you know just a friendly note just to say hello you know you don't have to get into a deep discussion I know many of many audio professionals tend to uh, not be very social and that's okay but you know not a bad idea to just uh, chime in and say hi, check in on people. So um, here we are, week number three, and uh, yeah, it's pretty much the same <laughs> as week number two. I have to, I have to admit, I've been really exploring uh, binaural recording a little deeper. Of course, uh, our our friend and former WC, I guess Chad Blake, is really big into binaural recording and has been for years, and. You know, the binaural choices out there are pretty wide at this point uh, compared to when Chad started to first get into it. You know, it used to be uh, the early incarnations of the Sennheiser and the Neumann Heads. And now there's like uh, several companies that make products with silicone ears and some high-end, some low-end. There's not a, a huge choice, but there are some choices of... Uh, binaural mics you can put in your ears, you know, at various costs. So I took a chance. I found some random pair online. I don't even know what it is, actually, to be honest with you. I uh, I just Googled it, and I found them after days of researching stuff, and I thought, hmm, these are 20 bucks. What have I got to lose? Except the 20 bucks and the $10 for shipping. I, I almost stopped buying them because the shipping was so expensive, but I thought, you know, whatever. I'll just dig in and do it. Let's just check them out see what they're like. Oh, I'll do some experiments when they show up, if they ever show up. With uh, things being what they are, who knows what the shipping is gonna end up being. But yeah, binaural recording. Why do I wanna get in a binaural recording? I don't know. Truthfully, I mean, this time period is, uh, you know, bringing out some creativity in many of us, I'm sure, and as a result, you know, I've had a bit of time on my hands here and there where I just use my spare time to investigate we're recording, and um, I don't uh, have any grand plans, but uh, you never know what could come of it. And sometimes, you know, getting something like that can lead to you creating content that you love, and then that turns into, I don't know, a podcast or a YouTube channel. I'm not saying I'm gonna do either of that, but I figure I'll check it out, and I'll let you know what I think of these cheap uh, in-ear things that I got with microphones on the outside, headphones on the inside, A lot of of different choices, though. So yeah, binaural recording. ASMR artists seem to be into that. Do you all know what that is, ASMR? Um, Google it or watch one of these YouTube channels. Seems to be a big deal in the ASMR world, binaural recording. And I think that that is driving some of the product development uh, in a big way because I guess ASMR is a big thing. Maybe I should have an ASMR artist on. There's a person I think in Poland uh, that does a um, a product. I guess this person is an ASMR artist, and uh, they um, have a thing called have a website called Binaural Enthusiast, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Anyhow, I hope you all are doing well. I hope you are safe and sound and uh, not going stir crazy. Remember, make the best of it. Treat this as an opportunity as you shelter in place to uh, get stuff done, to come up with new ideas, to brainstorm, think outside the box. Uh, Don't get down in the dumps and don't spend all your time on social media or watching the news constantly uh, because it can be uh, downright depressing, to be honest with you. Instead, spend that time communicating with your fellow audio professionals. Reach out to me on LinkedIn if you uh, have questions or you wanna bat an idea back and forth, Um, that's always welcome. And, um, you know, maybe orchestrate a Zoom call. I mentioned that with your fellow audio pros. And uh, that's it. Just want to encourage you to to seriously make the most of this time. Who knows what can come out of it? And uh, you'll look back in a year from now and think, ah, I'm so glad that I spent my time creatively or uh, utilizing my time in a way that uh, generated some new ideas, because what you do today will affect your tomorrow, right? I think that uh, that goes without saying. So that's it. Stay safe, my friends. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, They've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know, if you don't know them, is that, Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Matthew Boudreaux, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey Matthew, welcome to the
0: podcast. Hey, thank you.
1: So listeners, I'm sure you're Even as I'm starting this interview, you're probably completely confused about what's going on here. (laughs) And Matthew and I, I think, are equally confused as we discovered each other out there in the world. And then not only discovered that there was somebody who had the same name, but also was in audio. And that provided another level of confusion. So <laughs> I felt it totally appropriate to reach out to Matthew on LinkedIn. And he fortunately agreed to come on the show and let me grill him on what it's like being a Matthew Boudreau in the
0: world. Fortunately, I love this show. I mean, of course, I'm going to come on this show. This show is kind of, it's a grounding point in my week to, you know, listen to WCA And because I work with such diverse people who don't necessarily work in audio, it's really great to have some voices out there that speak my language. It's sometimes hard when you're working in a studio environment, especially when you're working remotely like I do, to actually have other people to talk to who speak audio. They speak producer, they speak actor, they speak other languages. But there's a language to audio that it's just good to hear sometimes to re-embed yourself into the audio world. Well,
1: so let's, let's go back a bit to the beginning. Where did you grow up?
0: That is actually a loaded question. I'm a military brat. So my father was in the Air Force. So we moved around a lot. I was born in Illinois and Champaign, Illinois, Urbana, actually. So, so I was born in Urbana, Illinois. We moved from there to Rome, New York. I've lived all over New York. i lived in Rome, Madison, Usually little small towns, which is kind of how I got into audio in the first place. I've lived in Auburn, New York, mostly New York, but then I went into the military. My wife and I joined the military. We got married really young, (laughs) terribly young, like we were 20. Uh, um, (laughs) And we joined the military. We've lived in Las Vegas, Guam, Abilene, Texas. And then we came back to New York after I got out of the military, where we lived in Oswego, New York, for a little while. And then I moved to Buffalo so that my wife could pursue grad school. And that's where I've been living since.
1: So how long have you been in Buffalo?
0: I've been in Buffalo for about 12 years now.
1: Okay. I had a very interesting experience in the early 90s being a drummer in a band and coming back across the border from Canada through Buffalo, the border patrol there... I hate to say was outrageously like rude and Oh
0: that's yeah, that's Buffalo Border Patrol. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It was stunning to us, like the amount of like, oh, in my day when you had an earring in your ear, you know what that meant. And (laughs) oh I mean it was and then they they pulled us out to our trailer that was full of band gear and said, Let's open this up. What are we gonna find in here? And we were like Drums, (laughs)
0: bass cabinet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they were sorely disappointed. I think that we weren't crazy drug addicts that they could pull in. So that's my Buffalo story.
0: Yeah. It's weird because going into Canada from Buffalo you meet the Canadian border guards and they're like, Hey, welcome in. Welcome into the, uh, you just stay in here for fun. You're going to hang out. Okay. Have a nice day. And coming out of Buffalo, they're like, are you sure you're from here? I'm like, "Uh, no, my, my house is literally right on the other side of the peace bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: so when did audio become an important part of your life?
0: That happened really early. So early on, I lived in, imagine about a half acre of land, and in the middle of this half acre land is this little trailer. And the nearest neighbor is about a quarter a mile away. And the only channels you get are UHF channels. So audio has really been part of my life since then, since I was a little kid. My parents, when I was young, used to give me the books on tape with the read-along books and stuff like that. So I started off with that. So I had this record. It was a Spider-Man versus Draco the Dragon record. And I used to listen to that just nonstop, nonstop. And eventually what I started doing is we had one of those little mono cassette recorders, just the little black box cassette recorders that we had back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. So I had one of those and I started really young Recording. When I was a kid, it was just I was reading my little golden books into the tape recorder to be just like the books on tape. And then just over time, that just developed into an obsession with telling stories through sound, recording spaces through sound. My parents road tripped a lot. My parents relatives, my uncles and aunts and all that, live in Mm -hmm. Massachusetts while we lived in New York. So we traveled back and forth. It's a six-hour trip. So I started really getting into listening to books on tape in the car. And so this was like late 80s, early 90s. I got hold of Stephen King's The Mist. Oh, yeah. It was this binaural 3D surround sound experience. And that hooked me like the recording itself like the acting was kind of like eh, for the time they were really just trying the kumskopf binaural system out at the time and really developing binaural sound with that but it was a lot of fun and it really pulled me into this idea of capturing sound in a space capturing not only the actors and just their voices but the space that they're acting in as part Mm. of how i tell stories
1: those books on tape had such a profound influence on you.
0: Oh, huge, huge, huge. Very, very young age. I was like reading into recorders. Like back in the day, my parents had an 8-track, not real-to-real 8-track, real the 8-track player that did recording. And I would record on those. So long, long, long time. <laughs> did you have any audio experience in the Air Force? I did have a little bit. So in the Air Force, I was a driver. I was in transportation. So I drove tractor trailers and stuff like that. So, there were a couple of things that happened in the Air Force. One is while I was in the Air Force, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Air Force while I was there, or was it the Mm -hmm. 25th? I can't remember. But it was an anniversary of the Air Force and I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base at the time, which is like one of the premier bases in the United States. It's one of the largest bases, everybody goes there because Las Vegas is right there. So everybody's everybody flies in and then has has their planes conveniently break down because they want us to go spend time in uh, at the casinos, of course. But while I was there, we did the the 50th anniversary of the Air Force and a couple of the friends that I was working with at the time, one was a web developer. One was a graphics designer and I was the sound guy, and we put together the Air Force web page as far as so I did a lot of the musical recording, all the speeches and stuff that were on the page. I handled the audio for that while my two friends actually coded the web page for the event.
1: What is it that you're doing today? What is, what is your job entail? What does your audio world look like?
0: So it's kind of split right now. So I work in like rails, like little trickles of income in order to stay in sound. I was working as a web developer and a technical writer for an R&D group here in Buffalo for a while. And that sort of corporate life was, I found it just sucking my soul. And eventually I just, basically what happened is I got promoted to being a web developer from being a technical writer, and then they fired the technical writer, and then I ended up being the web developer and the technical writer. And it was just this whole soul-sucking situation. I, I hit my 40s, I hit my middle-age panic there, and I was like, you know, I've just always been trying to work in sound. So one of the things that had slowed me down was that, like I said, I was married young. I was 20 when I got married. Yep. My son is now 23. So we had a child young. We put all of our time and resources into making sure he grew up well and that he got to, you know, go to college. He's at Sarah Lawrence right now on his last year. So that's when I finally decided that, okay, he's in college. He's moving on with his career now. I have time to actually focus in and move on my career. So what I've been doing up until now is I've been working in, it's kind of an offshoot of podcasting where we tell stories more cinematically. So I work in audio drama, (gasps) which for some, it's very similar to old radio shows. Yeah, For me, it's more similar to movies without the picture. That's kind of just how I design. I'm a sound designer. And I kind of got into it wholly by happenstance. I was coming out of college where I had trained in theater sound, but I really wanted to work in film sound, but I didn't have any sort of a sound reel. So what I did is I hired a writer to write a show for me, like a four-episode show called 1918. And I did the sound design for that. And then it started out as being a real, but then it started like it got out into the podcast world and it started taking a few awards. And people were really interested in what I was doing with sound. I'm like, hey, maybe this is an avenue. Maybe this podcast storytelling thing is an avenue I can go down. It was really fledgling at the time, this like 2008, 2009 at the time. So the podcasting technology was slim it was like this conversation that we're having where we're talking back and forth over zoom that wasn't really a possibility outside of skype Mm. and you know what the sound quality of skype is when you record it it's terrible so a lot of it involved double-ended recording like we do here a lot of it involved just trying to do the best with the technology that we could for some of the remote recordings i went a completely different avenue where i wanted to kind of more mimic film recording. So I would take people on location, take groups of people, work with them locally, record using XY mics and mid-side mics and get a more full feeling of the space. And that's where I went with it. The other side that I work in is, and it was kind of a direct result of this, and I kind of fell into it. And it's kind of where my career is meandering now is sound field recording. So sound effects, field recording. And I specifically kind of moved into recording spaces. So the company that I created, Uber Duo, my wife and I created it. The first project that we did is we rented this cabin up in the Adirondacks and we just recorded everything we could think of that captured the space of that cabin. All of the objects within it, impulse responses, which gives you the reverb of the space, ambiences from different rooms, impulse responses from different rooms. So you had rooms coming through doors and stuff like that, and all of the objects that are kind of associated with a cabin. And we sold that as a package and it worked out really well. It pulled me into this world where there's this entire independent market. So it's independent of all the the, the corporatism and it's independent of all those things that I always kind of feel oogie about. So I ended up getting my sound effects up on SoundEffect.com. It's run by Ozbjorn. I can't remember his last name. His first name is Ozbjorn. And it pulled me into this world where instead of being this competitive sort of market of podcasting, which Podcasting gets really into competitive sometimes, especially if you're dealing with big companies. But uh, I got pulled over into this independent world where people are just really interested in supporting each other. Huh. Like I got all this information through. So Paul, Paul Vierus Stack is like one of my hugest influences that moved me into sound effects. I read one of his field recording books and just getting this sense that I could do this thing. It pulled me into the sound effects.
1: This is interesting. I, I'm on the website now. I'm looking at the cabin audio playset, set. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that you sell and there are samples and ambiences mm-hmm. of a cabin type environment. Mm-hmm. And I assume that that includes in, indoors and outdoors and yep. objects. And where do you think that this winds up? Like, where do people use these things?
0: So initially, the idea was for use in, in terms of audio drama. A lot of my friends do audio dramas where they record remotely. So they're recording this one actor in Europe, they're recording this one actor in California and one in New York, and they're getting all kinds of different spaces, but they're trying to tell a story that happens in one space.
1: So you you started this company, Uber Duo, with your wife and audience. It's at uberduo.com. You should check it out. It's very interesting. Are you all making a decent living off of that? Or do you complement that or augment that with other forms of income?
0: So we do. My wife does work full-time at a bakery. She works at the Wegmans Bakery as a coordinator. And that augments what we do. She and I kind of work on like the business and more of the storytelling projects and stuff or what we work on together and then Hmm. i focus on the podcast editing and sound effects side while she's working it started out very light with like very small trickles but i found that if i kept feeding these little trickles of resources and income it actually made a very sustainable business my business has almost no overhead i operate strictly out of a home studio that mm-hmm. She and I built together in the dining room in our house. We don't really use our dining room, so we just turned that into a podcast studio.
1: Plus, your cost of living and your cost of living in Buffalo. Is-
0: cost of living in Buffalo is super low, which helps. Yeah. It's one of the reasons we moved to Buffalo was the cost of living was was better for us. Plus, Buffalo has a school here. It's the Buffalo Academy of Visual and Performing Arts and my son is a writer and a trombone player, and we wanted him to have the opportunity to go there. So we moved into Buffalo, so he had the opportunity to go to this arts school. It's been tricky living in Buffalo because you get out of school, the business tells you, you know, you need to move to New York, you need to move to Chicago, you need to move to LA or San Francisco, or one of the big cities that are entertainment hubs. And yeah, it becomes harder to work remotely because I've applied for jobs in New York City, and if I'm working remotely, I tend to get those, but traveling into New York City, they tend to work with people who are more local. They want people who they can sit in front of and work with, talk to face-to-face. So that's a bit of a challenge with doing remote work.
1: Obviously, as, as you and I do this interview, we are a couple of weeks into the declaration of a national emergency for the coronavirus, and therefore, all of us are probably at home, mm-hmm. most likely, right now. And I think that this starts to open up some more avenues and possibilities that maybe people who never considered working from home or doing remote audio work, I think that this is going to stir that, that thought a little more.
0: It is. It's getting bigger and it's getting easier and easier to work from home. The technology's out there. Most people can afford the equipment to at least tame down their space to be recordable enough to do a podcast, even if it's just a bunch of sound blankets on the wall or that kind of thing. One of my things as I write for a show called The Podcast Host, so I work in that side of podcasting, Colin over there and Matthew McLean. Yeah, that's another thing I work with, another Matthew, Matthew McLean. (laughs) That gets confusing sometimes. So- websites like the podcast host and I'm going to plug the hell out of the podcast host because I know these guys and I know that their information is solid and it's like the podcast host core company is out of Edinburgh Scotland I think maybe Fife and Colin and Matthew work there in Edinburgh.
1: Oh, I t- I totally know these guys. I listen to this show.
0: Yeah, these guys are really fabulous at just getting information out there that tells podcasters exactly what they need to know in order to run a podcast. They make it so simple, so easy. They break it down into the simplest possible information that you need to get started, and then they use that as a building block. We write articles where we refer to those initial articles as a building block in order to improve your sound as you continue podcasting, but really with the idea that you can do this yourself. You can do this. It's really not that complicated, and the things yeah. that are complicated are things that you can you can farm out to somebody like me who does podcast editing, and I'll cut out all your ums and
1: <laughs> exactly. And audience, the name of the podcast that the podcast host does is called Podcraft. Yes, honing the art of podcasting. That's so funny. It just took took a few uh, brain cells to connect <laughs> to uh, make me realize. Oh, I already listened to this. Yeah, these guys are really fascinating. And if you are interested in podcasting, and if you think it's something that is difficult. It's not. These guys really walk you through the the various steps. So I'll put a link in the show notes to them. That's interesting that you're connected to them. I wanted to ask you, you've got some stuff here on on your LinkedIn page, Dialogue Editor, Lock and Key. Now, Mm -hmm. that was an audio production of the Lock and Key separate from the Lock and Key that's on Netflix right now? That's
0: correct. It was about three, three four years ago, I think we did it. Uh huh. And that is an Audible production of Lock and Key. We worked with both of the creators of Lock and Key and we got to work with Stephen King and a lot of great talents. But Tatiana Maslany's in it, Kate Mulgrew's in that one. I did the dialogue editing, so it got all, all recorded off-site and sent to me. But I got to hear people's techniques and their personalities for getting into acting, so like hearing Kate Mulgrew be just Kate Mulgrew and not the character that she's playing Mm -hmm. was really enlightening and a lot of fun. You did
1: that with The X-Files as well.
0: Yeah, The X-Files Cold Cases I worked with. Same team that did Lock and Key did X-Files Cold Cases, except X-Files Cold Cases pulled in Dirk Maggs from Hitchhiker's Guide. So he, he did the radio series of The Hitchhiker's Guide, and he's done stuff like the Neil Gaiman stories, a lot of stuff coming out of the BBC is is Dirk Mag's stuff. And he's been like a huge influence on the audio drama community because he's right there. He's been involved in discussions with us. He's been kind of a mentor to a lot of the audio drama community.
1: Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember Remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to WorkingClassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Now I want to ask you, and I don't normally go into any kind of gear discussion, but I'm just fascinated by the thing with Uber Duo that you and your wife are doing. Like, so when you go to a cabin, or you also have one about bathroom sounds, mm-hmm. and it looks like you have a couple others. What is the process that you use to put this together? Like, when you conceive of, okay, we're going to go to a cabin and we're going to get cabin sounds, what kind of gear is involved? What kind of planning is involved and
0: logistics? So, the gear that's involved usually depends on the space. And I honestly record in as many formats as I possibly can. So I'll have like all kinds of different mics hooked up. So I'll have an XY format mic to capture a stereo recording. I'll also have a mid side so that I have a different stereo recording. Mono mics, I'm using shotgun mics. My NTG2 is probably my most predominant mic that I use to capture mono recordings. And then I use an NT4 to capture my XY recordings. Yeah, there's like all kinds of gear in the space that I'm using, trying to capture different angles. Part of the process comes with, so my wife and I have have an extremely theoretical background. She did her master's in archaeology and anthropology. And a lot of her studies were on the anthropology. Because she was an archaeologist, she studied space and the phenomenology of space, especially how bodies move through space. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of use that knowledge, that theory, that understanding to kind of look at a space... And try to, a cabin's really easy, but other spaces are a lot less clear on how people would use the space unless you sit there and you analyze the space and you think how people move through space and you try to record those things rather than just arbitrarily recording anything. So part of our process is, you know, we'll kind of move into the cabin find just listen with your ears. You just sit down in the silence and listen. And whatever you hear in that silence is kind of what you record to start with, just to get those bass layers up. And then you find elements of interaction within that space. Like, okay, so over here in this cabin is the kitchen. So how do we interact in the kitchen? We interact with the refrigerator, we pull things out. And you try to record all of those things that you might interact with in that space. Now, that the cabin is a much, much bigger idea. It was kind of a big idea to start with, whereas the bathroom is a lot more contained. You kind of just go through your bathroom routine and that's how you use the space.
1: So are, are we talking about, I mean, obviously recording toilets flushing, but yeah. are we talking about toothbrushing or yeah. toothbrushing?
0: It's all the things. It's toothbrushing, it's clone sprays, it's brushing your hair, brushing your teeth, any kind of fully work. The shower running, especially I noticed that when I was looking for a lot of showers in a sound design that I was doing, a lot of them are just sounds of the shower running. And that actually makes a different sound when a body's in it because there's water splatting against the skin. There's the water running down. Makes a completely different sound. So I wanted to be able to emulate both the shower running without somebody in it, but with somebody in it. I had worked on a movie, an independent film that I was working on. And yeah, I just could not find shower sounds that had an actual splat of the body that I wanted. And it's possibly a little too perfectionist of me. The idea of the shower running gets the point across, but sometimes I like to go a little bit too far, apparently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, honey. Stay in the shower. I've been in here for two hours now. I think you need to wrap it up. (laughs) I'm like a prune. (laughs) What about using ambisonic recording techniques or binaural recording techniques?
0: Binaural, I have definitely delved into as one of my favorite ways to record. I am just getting into ambisonics mostly because the equipment has just become affordable to me. That's Pretty much where I'm transitioning to now. Like, we still do audio dramas. We do a show called 11th Hour once a year, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But other than that, I've just recently made the full move into sound effects recording because that's where the business is going to thrive. Mm. That's where our best roots of income are. And honestly, because my wife and I, like I said, my wife's in anthropology and archaeology, we like to travel. like to travel a lot and that's harder to do when you're glued down to like a, a podcast kind of setting when you're glued down to three, four days straight doing sound design for a podcast and podcast stories. They're never short. They're like this ongoing train of, they're almost always a series. There's a few people out there that do single stories, but they're always a series. So you're dedicating these hours and hours and hours to sound designing for these stories, which I like doing, but I also like traveling. So one kind of inhibits the other where sound recording, field recording, I can take my gear with me. I can do it anywhere. Podcasting too, for that matter. I can do podcast editing and podcasting anywhere.
1: Yeah, when I when I travel I always have a setup in preparation for doing episodes remotely as well as interviews remotely. Interviews remotely meaning interviews with people that I run into mm-hmm. physically in those environments. When you travel, do you find it difficult to take a high-quality setup with you, or have you dialed it in to where you have everything you need gear-wise to travel and, and in a small footprint?
0: Yeah, space? I've got like six different kits, so it depends on what I'm doing and where I'm going. I've got a small footprint kit that is basically a set of binaural headphones and a Zoom H2 an h2n that i can plug into and set up anywhere it's quick
1: binaural headphones or binaural mics binaural
0: mics and headphones they're okay they're the ecm 90 i can't they're made by roland okay and they get a really sweet binaural sound i can travel them anywhere i've got a few smaller shotgun mics that i can use because there's a lot of environments where stealth is really, really important. As soon as you pull a microphone out in a public space, everybody gets a little performative or anxious. And (laughs) so a lot of the time we want to kind of roll in and record the space as people are actually using it and not with them hamming it up for the microphone. Or the other thing that you run into is you pull out gear and everybody wonders what you're doing. You know, you're recording and everybody's like, hey, what are you doing? Are you recording? (laughs) I was, (laughs) I was, I I, I was recording. No, and that's normal part of thing. So we try to kind of go in as stealthy as possible when we're going to more public locations where a lot of people are going to be. We try to be a little more stealthy in our recording. And then we use the big gear when we're going to like a cabin or something like that, a place that we have rented out in order to record that space. We'll take larger bits of gear with us.
1: Where do you seek inspiration for audio? from? Learning new techniques or just inspiration for ideas? What things influence you now?
0: Yeah, kind of all of those things. Like I said, this show, WCA, is is a big, huge influence for me because I get to listen to people working in different aspects of the audio field. And early on, when I was first getting into podcasting and when I was first getting into sound effects recording, Rick Veers was a really big influence. Like His sound effects Bible and all that were, were great Starters for getting my foot in the door and starting to understand what I can do with sound.
1: Sound effects Bible. This was the
0: first one. And then, yeah, the location sound one helped me out a lot when I started getting into full-on sound effects recording.
1: I'll put some links in the show notes to these.
0: And then field recording from research to rap by Paul Virastek.
1: About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app, check it out. Now, when we talk about field recording, I want to I want to get your thoughts on this. Is field recording an all-encompassing term, or does it mean a specific thing?
0: When you talk to another field recordist and you tell them that you're a field recordist, we kind of have an idea of what that means, but some of it's like really experimental, and some of it's some of it is we're going out into a space and like Frank Bry I think his name is the 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 recordist will go out and he'll rent a chopper and do some recording from that's field recording. Yeah, the problem is it's kind of a it's sort of a nebulous term isn't it field recording because I'll do location recording too. And location recording is similar to field recording in that I'll go to a location and use the same type of mics and stuff like that for an audio Mm -hmm. drama that I would use for a field recording. But yeah, I think field recording typically refers mostly to recording sound effects and ambience and and spaces.
1: When recording for binaural recording, Mm -hmm. do you find that as far as results, you know, there's essentially two ways to do binaural recording that I'm aware of. Maybe you can enlighten me, but you can either wear in-ear microphones Mm -hmm. like the ones you were talking about earlier, or you can have like the Neumann head or some other kind of device like that. I would assume that if you're wearing some kind of in-ear microphones, the realism might be more enhanced because you're using a real person's head. But the fact is, is that you're probably going to get that person's body sounds in the process. They're breathing, they're sniffling, et cetera.
0: Yeah. So there's times when I'll use something, basically, I'll either be in the space wearing the headphones and yeah, you got to really, when you're in field recording at all, you have to learn the art of stillness and that's stillness <laughs> of breath, stillness of motion. It's about not tensing up your body, but kind of relaxing it into space so that it kind of flows with the environment, so that the mics don't bounce against you. And yeah, it's hit and miss sometimes. Like the other day, my wife and I were out field recording, and we tried to set up this stealth recording situation where she's got like one of my small shotgun microphones with a cable like running up through her sleeve, so it's kind of hidden, so people wouldn't see that it's there. But then we realized that the cable's picking up all the noise, And that's reflecting down into the microphone. Ah, that's rubbish. We can't do that. But sometimes what I do with the binaural microphones is if I really need it to be stationary, I'll take a thing like this, which is a mannequin head with a set of ears on it, and I'll use that as the binaural effect. It creates the, you know, you put the binaural mics right in the ear and it creates the head shadow that you need in order to get that binaural effect. That's where that binaural effect comes from is the head shadow.
1: Now- Audience, what I'm looking at here that Matthew's showing me is a traditional styrofoam mannequin head.
0: Yeah, this is straight up mannequin head.
1: But the ears that are attached, those look like prosthetic ears. Yeah, these are prosthetic
0: ears and they cost only like they cost about five, five or six bucks on Amazon. They're typically used for like jewelry and stuff like that, but they've got this nice little ear design in them that you could just sync the microphones into. And yeah, they hold them at approximately 30 centimeters, which is about where you want it apart for, I think 30 centimeters is too low, but it's approximately the distance that you want it away from either ear in order to get the the binaural effect is created. When the sound comes at you, it splits into one ear and the other by the head shadow, and that creates milliseconds of time delay
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: small decibel changes that actually create the sense that it's coming from like one direction or the other, depending on which ear it hits first. And that's what the binaural microphones then emulate. There's another way to do that in live recording without having headphones with stereo speakers using a Yeklin disc. I've got one around somewhere, but basically the Yeklin disc is this big disc. It's about the size of a record Yeah. Um, and then you run to omnidirectional mic and kind of an ORTF sort of setup and then that disc in the middle creates that same head shadow except it gets a more natural not not binaural but a more natural stereo kind of binaural field which captures that full stereo sound but it eliminates some of the problems that binaural has when you're listening to it through a stereo system
1: do you have any daily routines that are important to you to kind of keep your your head in the right space?
0: Oh, my daily routines. Oh, yeah. Routines are extremely important. My primary daily routine is honestly just checking up on and keeping up with emails. And then I read a lot of articles. I read a lot on microphones. I read a lot on sound design and new technologies coming out there and how they capture space. I read a lot on how to capture space, especially with, equipment that you've already got, there is an unfortunate tendency out there to believe that the equipment that you've got is not good enough. So you you keep upgrading your equipment, thinking that if I only had the right mic, if I only had the right mic. And fortunately, I've had a lot of good mentors and a lot of good authors that have been like, no, it's not about the microphone. It's about how you use the microphone and choosing the right microphone to use in that circumstance. Hmm. So a lot of it is that just looking into different microphones, how they record sound, how they record sound differently from microphones that I have, new techniques for recording. Like the Yeklin disc for me was like fairly new about six months ago, and then I tried it and loved it. And so I've, I've incorporated those techniques in, and a lot of them are mostly techniques that are new to me. They're not new to audio. They're new to me. I'm always learning.
1: Yeah. Cause that's been around for, for many, many years.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's been like 1970s I think.
1: Is the focus of your world really kind of honing in on on sound effects as you had indicated earlier? Do you do you spend a lot of your time focused on that aspect?
0: Yeah, I really spend a lot of time. Right now I'm working on a project and it got kind of sidelined because of the coronavirus. Mm. And my assignment is basically to record Buffalo, New York. Record the spaces and the voices and the people that make up Buffalo, New York. Not specific conversations, but Walla with that Buffalo, New York accent. There's a big film industry that has started moving into Buffalo, New York. A Quiet Place 2 was just recently filmed around here and they're going to release that. Oh, So there's a lot of film locations that are used within Buffalo, New York, and I'm working on recording those locations, both for use in film and in any type of dramatic storytelling that involves sound effects. But yeah, like I said, we were supposed to go out this week. Actually, I was supposed to go out right after I got done interviewing with you. And like last week or like just the week before the coronavirus hit Rochester, which was about 70 miles from here, and Buffalo lost its mind, bought up all the toilet paper. <laughs> but now I think that's just across the country. <laughs> We're in the same position. (laughs) Yeah. Then a few cases came into Erie County where Buffalo is and everything just kind of went on lockdown. The St. Patrick's Day parades were all canceled. And these are like, oh, no, these are the crowds that I was going out to get. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we're kind of locked in right there. So, yeah. So right now, podcasting is my primary form of income until I can get those recordings.
1: So how do people typically find you? How do you get work? Is it mostly word of mouth?
0: So there's a few different sites out there. There's Mandy. I'm usually on Mandy looking for work there. A lot of my work, fortunately, especially my podcast work has come either through directly through the Uber Duo website. People find me for some reason. And Uh a lot of credit is due to podcast hosts because I'm a featured writer over there. People see my work over there. They see know that I'm connected with this company called Uber Duo. They go to explore what Uber Duo is and they hire me from there. So that's been a really big help is being involved in a podcasting community where I've kind of been embedded in the podcasting community for a long time so people are familiar with me at least loosely and yeah they come to me through those means through podcastos
1: so audience before we got rolling here matthew and i were talking about some confusion that occasionally will happen because we're both in the world of audio (laughs) and we share and we share a name and it now makes sense to me well, you were you were mentioning there was a software manufacturer that contacted you thinking you were me. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I now realize I got a message from somebody asking if I was in the military at one point and doing some some task, I can't remember what it was, whether it was an audio task or a journalism task or something. It was, as I think back now, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but hearing that you were in, in the Air Force, mm-hmm. I now think that that person thought I was you.
0: <laughs> ah, See, it goes both ways.
1: Yeah. If the world isn't
0: nutty enough, it
1: now has a new level of nuttiness, but at least now we know each other and we can, you know, go, oh no, no, that's not my thing here. You need to talk to the other one,
0: (laughs) to the other Boudreaux. Well, it could be worse. You could be associated with somebody who's like, oh, I don't want to know. (laughs) 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 I know. Well, this has been great
1: talking to you. I mean, obviously reaching out to you and, and learning about who you were and that you were involved in audio was a revelation, but it's really a pleasure to meet you and know that you're out there in the world and that we do share the same name and and the same love <laughs> and that we have that. Yeah. That we share the same love for audio and have a passion for the craft of that. So Yeah.
0: I can't imagine myself doing anything else, honestly. Well,
1: I'm going to put a link in the show notes to, to everything that we talked about. So audience, be sure to check out uberduo.com. And I'll include a link to your uh, LinkedIn page as well. Excellent. So people can, maybe if they have questions, maybe they could follow up there and send you a message.
0: Absolutely. And definitely check out podcasthost.com. I, that's honestly one of the biggest plugs I can make because those guys have helped me sustain and create a career out of audio. And I'm very much indebted to them.
1: Absolutely. Great things to be learned from what they're doing on their podcast podcast. Excellent. So, well, Matthew, thank you. And I don't know when we'll have an opportunity to meet in person, hopefully in the future when this coronavirus thing blows over. Absolutely.
0: Get past this. Yeah, I travel a lot. So next time I'm out the West Coast, I'll definitely uh, stop in. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, fantastic. Well, you take care and thanks again.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Matt.
1: Matthew Boudreaux here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I'm sorry, I cannot help but laugh when I say that. It's just so bizarre. I know that, you know, many of you out there have other people uh, who share your name, but when you're interviewing somebody who's got that same name, it's uh, it's it's just weird. But anyways, I want to thank you all for being here today, and I want to thank, of course, the crew that helped out. That, of course, means Anne-Marie Plough editing away Cliff Truesdell with the working class audio theme song and Chuck Smith with his lovely voice. Thanks for coming back week after week. I hope you all are safe, healthy, and not going insane from being in your house all the time. Get out, get a little exercise, even if that means walking in your backyard or walking in your neighborhood. So until next time, take care.